You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to another episode of Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Cole Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the host of this podcast. And in this week's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Paul Ramsey, a pastor from Sojourn Heights, to discuss Psalm 62 and some of the themes expressed in Psalm 62, uh, namely this this concept of enjoying and and having trust in the salvation of God in the present, rather than simply looking back upon um, a, a moment of first belief or our baptism as salvation or looking forward to a time in which Jesus will return and make all things new. There's a reality in between those two events where we can enjoy our salvation in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of confusion, and even in the midst of being attacked by others. And so we considered the, the concept of, of what does it mean to enjoy our salvation in the present? And what does it mean to wait upon the Lord? And, and I thought the conversation really was helpful uh, for me, and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, this conversation is a little longer uh, than most of the podcasts we've done in the past, and so you might want to listen to it over the course of uh, a, a few different days. Uh, it's, it's not overly long, but it, it's longer than usual. Uh, but I hope it's a blessing to you. And so without any more further ado, this is that conversation between me and Pastor Paul Ramsey from Sojourn Heights on Psalm 62. Thanks. Well, I am here uh, with Paul Ramsey of Sojourn Heights. Um, and Paul, it's, it's good to have you here on the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me. Cole, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so for those who are listening at home, um, if you're a Sojourn Montrose uh, member, you likely at least have met Paul, if not know him personally. Um, but for those listening who might not know who you are, just briefly introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, maybe a little bit about your family. Sure. Uh yeah, I am currently, my role is I'm the pastor of equipping and mobilization at Sojourn Heights, uh, which is, I am, I think at this point, seven weeks into this role. So I'm brand new in this role at Sojourn Heights. Uh, I've been at Sojourn since 2011. I graduated, I went to college in Atlanta, graduated college and came to Houston straight out of college and landed at Sojourn by God's grace in the summer of 2011. And so I've been here for a long time, uh, was at Sojourn Heights for... Uh, I believe seven years, uh, met my wife, Lindsay, got married in 2013. We led a parish for uh, five years at Sojourn Heights, maybe five and a half years. Uh, and then I jumped into the church planting residency at Sojourn, was at Sojourn Heights for two years and then went over to Sojourn Galleria to serve as something of, uh, uh, as, as basically Taylor Ince's uh, associate pastor at Sojourn Galleria in a, in a, as a church planting resident to continue preparing for planting a church. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, we launched a parish to plant a church in the Brazewood neighborhood of Southwest Interloop, Houston. Uh, and we, were, we went at that really hard for about 18 months. And then 
with the pandemic. To make a long story short, we made the difficult but clear decision to shut down Sojourn Bracewood as a church plant. And a part, as a part of that decision, the elders at Sojourn Heights called me and invited me to come back as a staff pastor at Sojourn Heights. And so that's a, I've had a, I've, I've kind of, tri- I've traveled around the Sojourn family in a sense uh, uh, over the past nine years. Uh, and it's a joy to be back at, back at home uh, at Sojourn Heights, uh, serving as uh, their newest staff pastor. Yeah, well, thanks for that. And I know, uh, I know they're glad to have you there. And uh, I know that, that I'm excited about you stepping into that role, even though I know it's been a hard year of, of working through uh, making the decision whether or not to continue moving forward at Sojourn Braisewood. But like you said, uh, thankfully, the Lord has provided uh, ample clarity uh, and conviction there and that you and Lindsay are in a, a spot to, to serve and use your gifts well. Um, mm-hmm. Paul, a question that I ask all of our guests is, um, especially their first time on, is, is what role do the Psalms play in your life as a Christian? Yeah, Cole, that's a great question. I, um, the Psalms is a fascinating book of the Bible for me. Um, uh, over the years, my love of the Psalms has grown uh, gradually and steadily. Uh, uh, the Psalms, of course, is the, is the prayer book uh, of God's people. It's, it was the songbook that guided corporate worship and personal worship in the, the years of ancient Israel. Uh, and the Psalms kind of edge out, I think, perhaps just barely, I think Deuteronomy or Isaiah, they edge out as, as the, the most quoted book of the Old Testament from Jesus's ministry uh, in the Gospels. And, and uh, so the Psalms is, a, is just this, has played this pivotal role in the life of Israel and the church for all of history. And in my own life, um, the Psalms provide a, a wonderful depth and breadth to particularly the relational aspect of my faith specifically my relationship with God, um, both as a son adopted into his kingdom and as a son adopted into a family, the family of God. The, psalm, the Psalms are just highly relational in their language. They're very honest, so there's, there's, there's very little pretense. Uh, I would say there's no pretense, actually, in the Psalms. Um, uh, even in Psalm 62, which we're talking about today, there's this phrase, you know, pouring out your heart before the Lord. The Psalms is really an invitation permission, if you will, um, to, to, re- to truly and honestly pour out your heart to a loving Father, um, while at the same time remaining in a place of fear and reverence of the Lord and worship of the Creator of all things. And so it's just this, it's, there's this depth to, a, to having a real relationship with God that, that I personally have experienced through the Psalms. And um, I have more, uh, more verses of the Psalms mem- memorized than perhaps the rest of the Bible Put together, um, uh, I have spent different seasons in different parts of the Psalms of my life, uh, and they provide just a kind of a, a a real foundation for my prayer life and my engagement with the the Lord on a relational basis. Um, so yeah, the, the Psalms are, are are a beautiful and 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 deeply deeply encouraging uh, aspect of my time in the word with the Lord and my, my personal relationship with him. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I, I experience a lot of those same things as well. Um, find the Psalms to be 
particularly helpful uh, just in the way that they teach me how to pray and mm-hmm. how to worship. Um, and I, I don't know if you heard the podcast from last week. That's something that Reed and I talked about at length was the idea that the t- Psalms teach us how to pray. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I don't think that I had ever thought of that language um, until, you know, last week when, when I was preparing uh, for that podcast. And, and that's something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his, his little book on the Psalms, and I've, I found it particularly helpful. Um, but you mm-hmm. mentioned that, that you want to read and, and, and discuss uh, Psalm 62 today, and, and I know we've already talked about it a little bit um, before we started recording uh, earlier today, um, but before we kind of jump into reading Psalm 62 would, would, or discussing Psalm 62, would you read that for us? I would love to. Uh, Thanks, Cole. This is Psalm 62 from uh, the ESV. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 62. To the choir master, according to Dredgethan, a a psalm of David. Verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. That's the word of the Lord from Psalm 62. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Um, Well, now that that you've read that, uh, just to kind of open our discussion on it, I just wanted to ask a, a very broad question, and that's why <laughs> Psalm 62? Why did, why did you want to discuss this psalm in particular? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, and so that I don't use the rest of our time, I guess I'll give the brief answer. Um, psalm 62 is a beautiful psalm. Um, it's not actually uh, an often quoted one uh, in my experience. Uh, but every time I go through it, it catches my eye. And today, or the other day, uh, when you invited me, Cole, um, and, and told me that this was the selection of psalms that you were looking at for today. Psalm 62 was a quick, uh, it just stuck out to me personally with where I'm at right now. Um, and there's both where I'm at right now, but also some of the, a couple of the themes from 60, Psalm 62 have been uh, themes that God has been weaving into my heart and life and aspects of a relationship with him that, uh, that, that have been a long-term project of God on my heart. Um, in particular, I think the two things that, that stick out for me are uh, just really that first line, that uh, verses 1 and 2 and verses 5 and 6, if you're looking at your, uh, 
at Psalm 62, you see that they're basically, they're nearly the same thing. He repeats, David repeats in verses five and six what he starts off with. But the first line is, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And then verse five in the repeat, he changes it slightly and says, and commands himself. He says, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. He tells his soul to wait in silence. And this idea of silence before God, uh, given that I would say the human natural inclination is to be quick to speak. Um, and that is definitely true of me in my own life. Uh, <laughs> uh, this, this, ex- this encouragement, this exhortation, really, uh, to, to wait in silence for the Lord, um, uh, uh, which is just a beautiful, a really important reminder for me by way of teaching and, and God's discipline in my life. Um, uh, uh, for me, because of his love for me. Um, so then, so there's, there's that soul waiting in silence part, which is really kind of a theme that runs through the psalm. And then just this idea of there is a... Uh, I always had a hard time, Cole, for a long time, uh, really understanding in practical terms what it means to, to enjoy the God of my salvation. In th- phrases like, from God comes my salvation, I really had a hard time for a long time. I became a Christian... Uh, when I was 19 years old, uh, in 2000, uh, uh, 2006, um, excuse me, 2000, sorry, 2008, early 2008, uh, I was 19 years old, became a Christian, and, and, and really for the first several years, I didn't really know what to make of that. Um, what does it mean that God is my salvation today? Um, but as you can see in this, you probably heard as I was reading it out loud, uh, David uses present tense verbs, God is my salvation. From God comes my salvation. He doesn't say one day salvation will come or one day God is going to be my salvation, but he's my salvation, my rock in the present. Um, And that's just such an important aspect of the themes that run through the Bible and especially here in Psalm 62. So those are are the things that right now in my life, and I think just uh, those are why Psalm 62 stuck out for me. Yeah, I, I think those two themes, the first being waiting for the Lord in silence and the second being this this concept of salvation being something to enjoy in the present and and to talk on that for a, a minute you you contrasted this idea that that salvation is something to be enjoyed in the present that it's a in the present it's a present tense reality against this concept that it's just a future hope and and I think that that maybe for a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters, especially those from a more evangelical um, background, there's it, it's also probably helpful to contrast it against like our salvation is a present tense reality to be enjoyed and not just a past tense reality, right? Yeah. Like because I, I grew up in a context where where the language was always, I got saved when I was X years old, right? So I I got saved when I was five years old. And so that's when I was saved. That's when I experienced salvation. Uh, And and now I'm a Christian. And yes, and like, there's a way in which that's, that's helpful language. And there's a way in which there's a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last days. Like that's the language that Peter and Paul use so often of this, future hope of of a a fullness of the 
the kingdom being fully established and our salvation being fully enjoyable with no <laughs> yes. more suffering and sorrow and persecution. And yet there's that in between, between the, the initial confession of faith and, and baptism and Jesus returning and establishing glory in the new heavens and the new earth in a, in a way that is unlike right now, that mm-hmm. right now God is our salvation. And, and I think the Psalms are helpful because they point, point that out so often and not just in this kind of cosmic eternal sense, but in the day-to-day sense. Like he is my salvation when it comes to the difficulties I'm experiencing today. Yes. Um, and so you spoke about how this Psalm relates to you personally, like that mm-hmm. it, it, you, f- you find that theme to be helpful. And, and so w- could you speak maybe to how does, how does the Psalm encouraging you to enjoy your salvation in the present yes. speak to your life? Absolutely. Um, that is, Cole, you put your finger on exactly why reading the Psalms was so hard for me to understand that God is my salvation phrase in my early years of being a Christian because you're you're exactly right. Those are the two, the two things, the two aspects of salvation. Because salvation is this umbrella under which all these other doctrines and experiences of the Christian life um, fall. So I would say I would say that salvation. If someone says to you salvation is, and they insert like a single phrase. Uh, then I would, I would automatically lean away and say, well, that is one aspect of salvation, but salvation is this big thing. So, but I didn't understand that early on. I thought, okay, salvation, I, I understood, okay, I was saved then. And I think that is, to your point, I think that's helpful language. There is a real, there is a transfer from one king to, kingdom to another that is described for us right. uh, that, that happens when you come to faith the new for the has first come. time. Yes, the, the old has passed away, the new has come, you are ushered into the new creation, and it's just this beautiful moment of salvation, experiencing it and tasting it for the first time. So I understood that part, because I had just, like I was a new Christian, I was like, yes, I know, I know what you mean by that. And I understood that, okay, Jesus is coming again to usher in the new heavens, new earth. There's this, you know, there's this, you know, uh, exp- this fullness of the experience of the salvation of God, which will be revealed in the last time. Um, so I understood those two, but then what about, I mean, this is King David, who, looking back at Psalm 62, King David is a faithful Israelite. He's, 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 he's stumbled, he has sinned, and he has had to confess and repent, uh, and, but, but he is a faithful Israelite. He's a king of Israel at this point, and he's talking about enjoying God's salvation in the present. Um, he talks about God in really concrete terms. He says, God is my rock in my salvation. And a rock is not something that you put, you know, a rock is something that you stand on in the present. It's not something that will show up later, um, you know, and it's not just something that you right. use once and then throw out. The rock is, provides the foundation upon which you, you build a house. As Jesus uses that same image when he talks about the rock and the, the building the house on the rock versus the sand um, uh, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, so I think that you have, um, this experience of what is salvation in the present. And so, um, when I think about what that means uh, for me and what, and what I see here in Psalm 62, um, uh, let me put it this way. In my own life, uh, my, God has been teaching me about trust, uh, trusting him. What does it mean to trust God at all times? 
Um, and verse eight there says, trust in him at all times, O people. Um, and one of the things that I am so quick to do often uh, is I'm so quick, when I, whenever I face a problem, uh, whenever I come across a season in my life that is difficult uh, or, or, or a challenge or someone who's in need or, 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 or an experience of suffering, my knee-jerk reaction is to jump in and solve the problem. Um, to jump in and to be quick to speak and to have the solution. It's easy for me to be dependable. It's hard for me to be dependent. Um, uh, and, and so as a result, God, for my whole life, uh, 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 for my whole, over the course of my life of faith, um, God has been teaching me what it means to trust him, what it means to truly trust him and to depend on him. Um, and, uh, and, and so when you come to Psalm, Psalm 62 and you see uh, the line, for God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. Um, yeah, that, 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 is what I, that is what I think about. I'm so, I am so quick to depend on myself, depend on my own solutions, to jump in and try to fix problems that I'm solving. Um, but that's not the invitation in this Psalm. This Psalm points um, very clearly and says, you see a problem, you have these evildoers uh, in Psalm 62, these, these, these wicked people who are attacking him, who are battering him, who are, who are planning to thrust him down from his high position. He is the faithful king, this is David, he's the faithful king of Israel, and you have these people who are plotting to, to pull him down to, to, to disregard God's anointing of his kingship. Um, blessing him with their mouths as hypocrites, but inwardly cursing him. So you have this picture of these wicked people. And so he's the king. And so you'd think that his, the invitation would be, okay, you're the king. So you need to go deal with these evildoers, right? But that's, yeah. not, what, that's not what David sees. Um, as the Holy Spirit is ministering to David in this time of, of seeing these, these, these wicked people threatening him, the invitation is to silent trust. I'm gonna wait for God in silence. And, the, and that word silence there is, is such an important word in the Old Testament. Um, it's, a, it's a rich word. You might have heard this, like there's many, Hebrew is a much simpler language than English. Um, and so in English, when we use a word, it means there's technically a specific meaning for that word. But in Hebrew, the word for silence is also the word that's used for stillness. It's used for uh, repose, peace, Peacefulness, like a um, uh, like you picture um, Jesus calming the storm. Uh, he said, "Peace, be still." That same this same word is it was basically like Jesus saying, "Be silent to the waves." And yeah. so there's the storms of life that are coming, but a trust in God that regardless of what storms are coming, regardless of what waves are coming, you are on a rock that cannot be moved by any wave. You're on the, on the rock that is God, who is your salvation. And you get to wait in silence for him to resolve the problem, whatever that problem is. And so for me, um, when I think about enjoying salvation in the present, I think about really that that, that, that kind of ties together the, 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 the main theme of this Psalm, which is the ESV titles this psalm, My Soul Waits for God Alone. Um, there's no hint of David providing a solution for his problem in this psalm. Not once does he say, here's what I've resolved to do to solve my problem, to deal with these people who are trying to tear me down. Here's what I have resolved to do. I've decided to trust in the Lord. 
in, and wait for him in silence. And then he says that, and then he has to remind himself, which is a reflection of the fact that David is this faithful Israelite who's maturing in his faith, and he's, he knows that for God alone my soul waits in silence. And then as he goes through, he starts thinking and he pouring out his heart saying, how long will all of you attack a man? And then he has to remind himself, soul wait in silence for God alone. You notice that word just appeared, for God alone, he alone. God alone is the source of salvation, is the source of peace, of quietness, um, of, of, of calmness. With, when the whole world is telling you, when the world feels like it's falling apart, when the, whole, when the world is saying, we've got to fix this, we've got to, we've got to find, find the solution for the problems that we're facing, we've got to be better, we've got to make everything else better, we've got to, you know, the invitation here is, you know what? Come what may, whether, you know, it is well with my soul. I think about that hymn. Um, whatever comes my way, whether peace or sea billows, Whatever my lot, God has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. There is peace in my soul, and I am waiting for God in my silence. I am resting on the rock that cannot be moved, enjoying the salvation, which is enjoying the peace of God in the present. And I think about, uh, just a, a last thought to this question, I think, you know, enjoying God's salvation in the present. I think about John 14, where Jesus is about to, he's about to get hand over, handed over and arrested uh, to, to be crucified and killed. And he's giving some of his last words to his disciples. And he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He promises the Holy Spirit. He says, I won't leave you as orphans because he's telling his disciples he's going to leave them. And so this is the one who has calmed the storms. He has healed the sick. He has raised the dead. I mean, they are okay because they're with Jesus. And here it is. Jesus is about to be taken from his disciples. And so he's giving words of reassurance. And he says, don't worry. John 14, verse 18, he says, I won't leave you at or as orphans. Mm. Uh, and then he goes on to yeah. say, uh, the helper, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And then he says this, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid peace I leave with you. And so Jesus says these words of peace. He came to give us peace. And we're looking back at Psalm 62, for God alone my soul waits in silence. There's a quietness. There's, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Troubledness, a troubled heart, I would say the opposite of waiting for God in silence is, is waiting for God, is, is not waiting for God on account of being troubled. And there's this urgency, there's this temptation to, to jump to the solution, to fix the problems, to pick up the sword. Yeah. But we get this yeah, I, encouragement to wait in yeah. silence. Yeah. You're hitting on, on something that I think, I mean, I, I think it takes a lifetime as a Christian. Um, and I say that because I, I know that I, I don't understand it yet, uh, fully how to lean into a posture of, of silent, patient, peaceful waiting, mm -hmm. um, and, and trusting in the Lord as, as a present help in a time of trouble, as my rock and salvation, as, um, my, my fortress and, and all these things that, that were, were being told in this Psalm. But yet I think there's a temptation as a, as a reader of the text to read this psalm, one, as 
as something that is primarily doctrinal rather than poetic. And, and secondly, out of context with the rest of scripture, because we could read it and say, okay, well, the, the answer to difficult things and to conflict and to, to stressful situations is in life is to withdraw and wait for the Lord. Um, and not, and to not engage. And, and I think that you're, your example in John 14 of Jesus promising the disciples that he was going to send his spirit of peace um, in the midst of a tumultuous time, uh, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, post-Jesus ascending into the heavens and and facing persecution and all these things where they desperately need peace. He's going to send the spirit as they're waiting in silence. He's going to send the spirit. He's going to yes. be their salvation. But... When the spirit comes, action is required. Yes. And so there's not there's not a call in the scriptures to be ascetics who withdraw ourselves and just wait for that day in which Jesus returns, um, mm-hmm. or to be or to be ignorant and oblivious of the world around us and the suffering in the world around us and to not engage until we feel like we've been given this ultimate prophetic word from the Lord. Yes. But but I think it's a, it's a call to sober mindedness rooted in trust, right? Like mm-hmm. that. Okay, life is hard. These situations that that we might experience. I mean, David's talking about being attacked. You know, a, essentially a rebellion being forced against him, and that is not the time for rash, um, quick, thoughtless problem solving and it's certainly not the time to rely on on something that is is less powerful than God and his word. Yes. But it is a time for action. And yes. so and so there's this this patience that I think we're called to as Christians especially in the midst of hardship where where one like step 1 of this psalm is implied and that's to begin praying. Yeah. Right, like to begin coming to the Lord, and and to remind ourselves, like He does in verse five, to to trust and and mm-hmm. I think every time in the Psalms when when the psalmist commands himself to trust or to <laughs> worship or something, it's so helpful to me because oh, yeah. so often I have to tell myself, okay, Colt, you have to worship. I know you don't feel like it. You have to trust. I know you don't feel like it. Yeah. Um, but but we start with prayer and, and then we remind ourselves okay i i can trust why because because god is my salvation <laughs> and how do i know that i i know that because i i can look back on the past salvation right i can look mm-hmm. back to my baptism and say he he is my salvation yes. i can look at all the promises he's made me and say he he will be my salvation mm. and, and so therefore right now he, he must be my salvation. Yes. Even if I don't feel it. Um, yes. Yeah. Cool. That is, I, I think that you're, that, that is so good. And I think that um, what you put your finger on in, in what you just said is such an important thing for Christians. Uh, I think for everyone in the world, you know, to, to, to grasp, but this is one, so, uh, and, and that's this, that there is a deep complexity to life that cannot be simplified into binary realities. We have this desire in us to think of things as simply 
okay, if I'm suffering, then I can either do something or do nothing. The Bible tells me to wait in silence, so you got it. that means that the Bible is telling me to do nothing, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, right. Uh, there, is this, uh, uh, there is this invitation, and if you think about um, uh, uh, you guys, you guys at, at Sojourn Montrose are, are going through, at Sojourn, we're going through the book of First Peter. We just finished the book of First Peter at Sojourn Heights this past week. Um, and uh, in, in chapter four, there's this section that talks about suffering as a Christian. Um, and, you know, it talks about rejoicing insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You know, it talks about, it's this passage that talks about what you should do in the face of suffering. And I think one thing that Peter's, you, you read the book of First Peter and he tells us, yeah, don't be surprised when you suffer. Don't revile it in return, but on the contrary, bless. Now that, that is incredibly difficult. I think about, you know, uh, I think I thought about, as you were talking about it, I thought about this, this experience. I went to summer camp, uh, summer camp growing up, and one of the activities, this is a silly example, but one of the activities, the camp director had 500 people sitting in an amphitheater, and he said, what we're going to do right now is we're going to make silence for one minute. And so he said, everyone be silent. And what we realized was that it was impossible. Someone coughed. Right. Someone was going to, sh- someone scratched something, someone moved their feet. It was, his point was that silence requires activity. You have to make yep. yourself stop or else you won't. Um, and I think that to, to trust the Lord and, and to come to him and wait for God in silence, that is a very active process. Um, it's nothing short of humbling yourself before the Almighty. Um, and humbling yourself before God, humbling yourself before people who are, who are, uh, in, who are um, bringing about suffering in your life, humbling yourself, that's a, that is a very active process. It's very complicated. Um, you know, Jesus, I think about Jesus uh, uh, on the cross. We, we, there's this song that we sing called Man of Sorrows, um, and the chorus goes, mm-hmm. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. There, there's a line in that song um, at, the, at the beginning of the second verse that says, it's just this captivating line about what, ha- what, did, what Jesus did when he was accused and he was on trial. And the line in that song is just, silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. And so here is the Lord of all things, um, the Son of God, very God of very God himself, being put on trial before men who are flapping their lips, throwing out all these words and accusations um, taking pleasure in falsehood in the words of Psalm 62. And what is Jesus doing for us? He is modeling, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. He knows that God is in full control over this situation and he can tr- God, is, God his Father is trustworthy. And so he stands silent. He doesn't need to repay. He doesn't need to deal, open his mouth to deal with the problem. But, but, the, but in, in fact, Jesus's victory over all things came through his silence. Um, and so far yeah. from the false dichotomy of either I can do something when things are hard or I can do nothing. Oh, the Bible tells me to do nothing. That, that's just a, that, that, that's a total misunderstanding of what the Bible encourages us to. Uh, uh, when it says aspire, Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes, aspire to live quietly. Um, when, yeah. when, you're, when you're reviled, do not repay reviling for reviling, as Peter says, but repay with blessing, respond with blessing. Um, you know, Jesus yeah. says, turn the other, when, 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 you're, when you're struck, turn the other cheek. 
when, it, when, your, when your cloak is taken, give them your tunic, give them your shirt also. You know, these are very active ways of humbling yourself before God, before the world. And I know that even in trying to say this, I'm missing a lot of nuance that is helpful in understanding. But to your point that you said a few minutes ago, Cole, it, takes us a, it will take us a lifetime to grow in what yeah. this looks like in our lives. But, but far from inaction, we are invited to the hardest action of all that is impossible without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, trusting in God at all times, pouring out our heart before him, coming honestly to him with what it is that we're facing, trusting that he is our refuge and he is the rock upon which we can stand the salvation that we can enjoy today through the peace that he came to offer. Not as the world offers. The world says you got to go conquer. You got to go fix. You got to go build yourself up. You got to go, you know, get yourself a high estate uh, as it was right. told in verse nine. But, but no, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Um, it's just this, this, this counterintuitive, paradoxical way of living a, living a life on the winning side. The life of the kingdom of God is a life of peace and quietness. Um, yeah. I, I think one of the, like kind of at the root of the silence that David is talking about, this silent waiting for the salvation of the Lord, at the root of it, if we read it in context, David is being attacked um, and he's being disrespected. He's having he's having shame brought upon him, and and there are men around him who are seeking to provide for themselves some sort of esteem through falsehood and through um, through robbery and extortion and, and things like this. And and at the root of this silent waiting is one, it's a matter of where do we find our identity. Um, he, David says in verse 7, he says, On God rests my salvation and my glory, mm. my mighty rock, my refuge is God. And that word glory, it's, it's a pretty nebulous word in English. And in the Hebrew, that word really, it, it refers to dignity and, and kind of and esteem. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Israel, like most ancient and more Eastern cultures, is an honor shame culture. And so one's glory tended to come from what the group thought of you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like my esteem is based on do my peers or subjects esteem me. And yes. And David is saying something. He's saying, no, the Lord is where my glory is. Mm-hmm. His his care for me is my glory. And yes. so I don't have to submit myself to, to any sort of treachery or falsehood or compromising my values so that others might approve of me because God has saved me and he's given me dignity. And that's yeah. beautiful because that's, that's a reality of the kingdom that I think it's easy to miss. It's not just that like we've been given forgiveness of sin but we've also been given complete dignity as sons and daughters in God's kingdom. Yes. And, and so, so it's a matter of where do we get our identity, but it's also a matter of vindication, right? Like David is like, there's, there's this temptation when we're attacked, when our, either our persona or even our bodies are attacked um, for something that is unjust to want vindication. And this is something that we see in our society all the time. I know this is something that 
that our black brothers and sisters have been particularly mm-hmm. dealing with is this this deep desire for vindication at the at the face of injustice. Yes. And and yet there's this beauty in our our brothers and sisters of color in the church being able to say we will trust in the Lord for our vindication. Yes. Um and that is not a call to inaction. Mm-mm. It's not a call to not try to make things in our society better to promote yes. equity. But there's a difference in promoting equity and seeking vengeance. Yes. And and that that's the way of Christ and that's the way that that David is calling us to yes. less calling us to and showing us by his example is that okay, well I can trust the Lord to give me dignity. Yes. And I can trust him to vindicate me. And yes. I can look to the cross for both of those things. And yes. so right now though I am attacked though I am embarrassed, though people hate me, though my body is in danger, I can trust the Lord. Yes. And, and then he gets to this place, right, in verse 9 that you mentioned before we started recording where, where he talks about dignity, right? He says, mm-hmm. those of low estate are but a breath, which he's saying those of low estate, they're vapor, they're, they're not much. And then he says, those of high estate are a delusion, Right, yeah. and so these are kind of equate, equating terms. Yeah, and then he says, "In the balances, they go up; they are together lighter than a breath." Yeah, and, and so he says, "Like, okay, you can have riches and dignity and power in this world, or you can have nothing in this world, and in a few decades, you're gone either way." Yeah, and so wh- are you going to find your identity in, in what God has said about you, and are you going to yeah. trust in Him for vindication, yeah. or are you going to become a fool? who seeks robbery mm-hmm. and extortion yes. and puts your heart, you put, put the desires of, on your heart of things that are so much less than the things of God. Yeah, Cole, that, I mean, that is, that is so good. Uh, and I think that your example of our, our, our brothers and sisters of color um, uh, is, 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 a, is a great application of this because because that's the, you know, what this, is, what this is not telling us is this is not saying that we should, we should sit by and, and watch injustice, just numb ourselves to injustice. Um, we, know that it's, it, we, we know that clearly taught in the Bible is the, is, is, is the need to pursue justice when, when injustice is seen, to, to, to be a voice for those who are voiceless, Proverbs 31. And, you know, we, we have this, we, we have this importance like justice is not just something, just like salvation. Justice is not something that will one day be enjoyed and until then, you know, you fend for yourself. No, so, so on the one hand, we have justice that's deeply important even in the present. But on the other hand, to your point, what you're saying about verse nine, that what, what the psalmist um, is, is basically telling us is just so you know, no matter what you're able to secure, if you try to do it yourself in this life, it's gonna be worthless. If you choose to take things into your own hands, the best you can offer yourself is a high estate in the present. And let yeah. me tell you what a high, the highest, those of high estate, they're a delusion. Because the only high estate is the glory of the Lord. To you, to you put, and, he, and they gives this image, verse nine, those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are illusion. In the balances, they go up. And that's a really, it, to, together they are lighter than a breath. That's, a, that's weighing the scales to figure out how much something is worth. And what the point there is, is that the glory of the Lord, the kavod, that beautiful 
which you, you hit it, it's this, it's this rich word that talks about, it's the glory of God. It talks about his splendor, his distinction, his honor, uh, uh, his riches, his heaviness, you know, is the image that we're given here. Like kavod is this, it's this weighty, you know, filled with worth, worthy of worship. And, and nothing that we're able to get for ourselves can get that. We could, right. we could try our best and come up with the best this side of heaven, the best system of justice, the best system of race relations, the best system of anything. And it would still be but a breath when compared with the glory that is accessible to us simply by faith in Jesus, by being adopted into the family of God. And so, in other words, you do not need to wait for your situation to change to enjoy the peace and the glory of God. You do not need to wait for the injustice around you to be righted to enjoy full salvation in the present. You simply need to wait for the Lord in silence, enjoy his salvation today. And from that point of steadfastness, of quietude, of, of, of really, that's how going back to first Peter, this maturity, this, this emotional, this mental maturity that we're, we're pursuing from that place of maturity, of steadfastness, of quietness, then you can actually be a helpful and productive contributor to the justice of, uh, uh, uh in the world around you. Um, yeah. And yeah. so, so uh, that, yeah, man, I, that's, that's so helpful. And, and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, what you said that about, you don't have to wait for your situation to change to enjoy your salvation right now. Mm. I mean, that's how the, I think that's how, the point of the book. How of unbelievably Peter, helpful! Yes, yeah, I, I think it is too. Uh, to a church in the midst of suffering and mm-hmm. conflict, and, and 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 it's so on point with the equation or the economy of God's kingdom in the gospel, which which says your your belovedness, your chosenness has nothing to do with your current circumstance or your track record, mm. but only on. upon what God has said. And therefore, mm. your enjoyment of what God has done for you and what he's going to do for you and the fact that he is in you right now by the ministry of his spirit is cause for rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. And and so with that, I, it's... We've been we've been going for quite some time, hmm. and so I, I think I think that's a good place for us uh, to wrap it up uh, for the day. But Paul, thank you mm-hmm. so much uh, for for joining me, and I look forward to having you back on. Cool, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to it. This is great. <laughs>